What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Fletcher. And I'm Mark Deason. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on? Well, we're talking about breakthrough infections. So this is the new COVID panic, right? We've got these Texas Democrats who are fleeing the state. They flew on a plane without wearing masks, and they got breakthrough infections. And so now all of a sudden, people are saying, oh, my gosh, the Delta variant, it's so infectious. It's so dangerous that even people who are vaccinated are coming down with COVID. We've got to lock down again. We've got to have mask mandates on. Maybe we shouldn't open schools up again. We've got to bring back the pandemic restrictions. And it's just a load of BS. So I think that first... You're right, of course, that there's a ton of BS, as there has been from the get-go, in discussions about this. But I do think that the White House has caught onto something, and it's something that is at once medical but also highly political. And that is the notion that there are two Americas. You said it, others have said it, but the White House also likes to say it, right? There's vaccinated America and there's unvaccinated America. Now, what you're talking about in terms of kids is unvaccinated America. But what the White House is really trying to promote is the notion that everybody's going to have to go back into all the horrible lockdown. And it's all because of a bunch of rubes who won't get themselves vaccinated. And of course, we know who they are, right? They're people who voted for Donald Trump. So I think this is going to be very interesting Yes, from a medical standpoint, but as you rightly say, mostly not in terms of illness, not in terms of people who are coming down with this new variant, but in terms of what is being pushed on people because of it. I want to talk about the political side of it in a second, but I did some digging on the effectiveness of these vaccines. And if you look, I dug into the CDC data. As of July 12, 2021, there have been a grand total of 5,492 Americans hospitalized with breakthrough infections. That's out of 159 million people who've been vaccinated in this country. And of those 5,492, 791 have died of COVID-19. So you've got a death rate of 0.005%. To put that in perspective, I looked this up. Your chance of dying in a lightning strike is 0.007%. If you're vaccinated, you have a better chance of dying from a hornet or wasp sting, a dog attack, a car crash, drowning, sunstroke, choking on food than you do of dying from COVID-19. And by the way, of those hospitalizations, almost all of those people are older people, elderly, or have immunocompromised or have underlying conditions. There was an Israeli study of patients hospitalized with breakthrough infections. They found only 4% had no comorbidities. So the people who are getting sick today and having bad outcomes, if you're vaccinated from COVID-19, are people who are immunocompromised, who are sick, who are older, who have underlying conditions. If you are vaccinated and you're basically a healthy individual, you are basically bulletproof. You are not going to die. You are not going to get hospitalized. For you, the pandemic is over. 
it's over. There is a pandemic of the unvaccinated that's happening in this country. And some people are not getting the vaccine because they have natural immunity because they've already had COVID. Other people are choosing not to do it. And that's their choice. But their choice is also to put themselves at greater risk of COVID. And so why should kids in America have to wear masks in school or not go to school because some people chose not to get vaccinated and put themselves at risk? So this is a a genuine question. You've looked into all these numbers. I've looked into a a lot of the data about who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been vaccinated. There's a a good Kaiser Family Foundation study out about that, if anybody's really interested in digging into them. But what do you think? Why is there this weird urge to reinstate the restrictions that existed at the peak of the COVID pandemic when there was no vaccine. For the Biden administration, that says failure. For the economy, that says failure. What do you think it's all about? I think a couple of things are going on. Number one, I think a lot of people got in touch with their inner Stalin during the pandemic, right? A lot of these local officials. And <laughs> who knew there were so many people who had an inner Stalin? But there's lots of them. People like telling other people what to do. There's a subset of the population that just likes telling people what to do. And they love it. It's staggering. I I was shopping the other day and I walked into the store and the woman said, put on hand sanitizer. And I said, no, I'm allergic to hand sanitizer, which I actually am. And she said, well, then you can't come in. And I was like, but there's no one else in the store. And that's not actually a rule. And also, you can't get COVID from surface transmission. It's not even how it's transmitted. But what's wrong with people? They love the power of telling people what to do. And then you have sort of the panic people who are just, you know, they're just terrified. It's funny what a difference there is between the United States and Canada, right? So our northern neighbor, they look just like us. They speak English just like us. They're no different than us. But they've got these COVID restrictions. They've got the border shut. And the poll showed something like 80% of the population agrees with all these restrictions. I guess that's what you get when we said no taxation without representation. And the loyalists who went to Canada said, no, we're fine with taxation without representation. (laughs) They don't have quite the same rebellious streak that we do in America. But- I I just think there's a lot of people who like to tell other people what to do. And the pandemic gave them excuse. And then there are the people who need the pandemic as a justification. And this is Biden. This is Bernie Sanders. This is all the Democratic Socialist crowd in Washington. The pandemic was their pretext for all this government spending, right? Biden passed $1.9 trillion in his first weeks in office in a party line vote, which it turned out we didn't need to spend because the pandemic was essentially over by then. But no, it's their justification for all this government spending. It's a combination of the inner totalitarian in a lot of people and the inner socialist in a lot of people. How's that? Uh, I don't like either of those inner people. And I will say the pandemic has ripped the mask off, if I, <laughs> if I may use that heinous term. It has really ripped the mask off a lot of people who I think are secretly you know, desirous of diktat over the rest of our nation. So let's get into the politics, because I do think this is also a big part of it. One of the things that I think is fueling this desire to have the mask, no mask, go back to school with mask, not go back to school at all, go back to the office, not go back to the office at all. Debate is this question of Democrats are the good guys. Democrats are the ones who went and got vaccinated. Look at Massachusetts, look at New York, 
look how great they are and compare them to South Carolina, those rubes who are all <laughs> resisting. And what is the common denominator? We know what the common denominator is. It's that those rubes, those cretins, they voted for Donald Trump. And now they're not getting vaccinated because they think their precious bodily fluids are being compromised in some way, a la Dr. Strangelove. And what is absolutely fascinating to me, and I talk about this a little in our interview, is this deep dig into the data that our colleague and the dispatchers, Chris Firewalt, did about the polling on who is not getting vaccinated by state. Because it turns out that by state, who is not getting vaccinated is not necessarily Republican voters. It's a lot of Black voters. It's a lot of Black residents in South Carolina, in Florida, in California, and their numbers are staggeringly different than the impact that there has been on them. I'm not going to dictate why it is that the Black community in America feels hesitation. I'm sure that there will be people who say that it is a history of racism. The one thing you can say is it's not because of their innate conservatism. These are not, for the most part, Trump voters. These are people who are vaccine hesitant. And I don't understand why politicizing it is helping them. So basically, the solution to vaccine hesitancy is critical race theory. (laughs) (laughs) No, so look, I I, I think it's a mix. I don't necessarily agree with Starwalt's analysis. Number one, he's right about African-Americans. So the only ethnic group in this country or racial group in this country that has the lowest vaccination rate is African-Americans. I think it's less than a quarter are fully vaccinated, right? So that's a key constituency of the Biden administration and the Democratic Party. And, you know, this goes back to Kamala Harris, who's now the most senior elected person of color in this country. Back in the fall, she was out there saying, I don't trust the Trump vaccine, (laughs) right? I'm not going to put that Trump vaccine in my body. I don't trust anything Donald Trump says. And Biden basically echoed that. So they created this vaccine hesitancy. So, you know, you've got the image of the first African-American woman running for vice president saying, don't trust the Trump vaccine. So I think a lot of people listen to that. And it's hard to undo that kind of damage once you've done it. Maybe she should have the humility to come out and say, you know what? I was wrong. (laughs) The vaccines are safe. I was politicizing it. I'm sorry. So, yes, They're responsible for their own constituency. However, I don't agree that Trump voters are not vaccine hesitant or more vaccine hesitant. Oh, no, I I wasn't trying to say that because I think there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy among poor white Americans for a whole variety of reasons. But, you know, at the end of the day, and this is what they have in common, it's not who they voted for. It is the fact that they are poorer, the lesser educated are, in fact, the less vaccinated. Yeah. So there was a post ABC News poll just to put the numbers out there that showed that while 86 percent of Democrats say they've received at least one dose, only 45 percent of Republicans have. And while six percent of unvaccinated Democrats say they aren't likely to get vaccinated, 47 percent of Republicans who are unvaccinated say they probably or definitely will not get the vaccine. So there is a greater vaccine hesitancy on the right than there is on the left. But I'll tell you something. One of the reasons for that, or at least one of the ways we could be combating that, is maybe give Donald Trump credit for Operation Warp Speed. You know, the Biden administration, I get that they hate Donald Trump and he's given them plenty of reasons to hate him. But on the principle that even the blind squirrel gets an acorn once in a while, 
Operation Warp Speed is the greatest public health achievement in human history. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. And it's an achievement of the Trump administration. So they did a public service ad with all the former presidents, Bush, Carter, Obama, Clinton, all saying, get the vaccine. The only one they didn't ask to do it was Trump. Now, maybe he wouldn't have done it. Maybe January 6th, is, they say that's more important. But if you're arguing that it's Trump supporters who are not getting vaccinated and they're the ones holding us back, wouldn't it be smart to say, hey, Trump supporters, if you trust Donald Trump, get your Trump vaccine, <laughs> right? Give him credit. Are you sure they didn't ask him, Mark? I am, 100%. They didn't ask him. I know that. Well, that's, that's been reported. That's so, you yeah, know, so that's, that's the, the one done. former president who actually could play a role in convincing that portion of the population to get vaccinated, they won't give him credit for it. And they won't ask him to help because of their hatred for Donald Trump. Again, you know, people have their reasons for their hatred for Trump, but he actually could do some good here. But they just are so filled with loathing for him that they won't give him credit for that. I mean, Biden even tried to steal credit for the vaccine. There was a speech he gave the other day. Well, it was developed with science that was developed over decades under Democratic and Republican administrations. I mean, come on. We've done podcasts about this. We had Monsef Slawi, the head of Operation Warp Speed on. And what he was explaining was that, you know, vaccine development usually takes years, if not decades, because it's sequential. Right. You have to go through the phase one trial and phase two, then the phase three. And then only if it's fixed, you get the FDA approval process, which takes a long time. And then only once it's FDA approved, you start scaling up manufacturing, getting out to people. And what they did was basically instead of making it sequential, they did it all at once. They ordered the vaccines, even though they didn't know they were going to be uh, approved so that when they were ready, we could get them out. And so as a result, right now, we're in a situation where those of us who are vaccinated, literally just a year after this virus hit our shores, a little over a year, we're going back to our normal lives. That's because of Operation Warp Speed. Give the man some credit for what he did and employ him to go out to those people who are vaccine hesitant on the right and say, you know, go get your vaccines. All they have to do is ask. But bottom line, you know, it's going to be a choice and there are going to be people who are not vaccinated. And if we're going to stop our entire economy and our entire nation and our entire education system over those who choose not to get vaccinated, we are going to be in a lot of trouble next time there's a virus that comes along or frankly, the flu that comes along. Anyway, to talk about this, to talk about Delta, to talk about whether we're going back to school or not is our recidivist guest. Dr. Marty McCary is a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Bloomberg School of Public Health and the Cary Business School. He's an author of The Price We Pay, what broke American healthcare and how to fix it? God knows we all need to read that. We're super lucky to have Dr. McCary back with us today. Here's our interview. Well, Marty, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you, Mark and Danielle. We're thrilled to have you back. So look, the news that the six fully vaccinated Texas Democrats fleeing their state came down with COVID anyway, has focused a lot of attention now on breakthrough infections. And we're starting to hear from people that, oh my God, the pandemic is worsening. The Delta variant is so infectious. We need to return to COVID restrictions. We need to have indoor mask mandates. Some parents are even bracing for the teachers unions to use this all as a pretext to keep the schools closed in the fall. Should we be panicking about breakthrough infections? No, that is not our problem. And let me tell you what's going on is we've got two different things happening, two separate things happening in America, and people are conflating the two. 
One is we've got outbreaks among non-immune people in some communities, and those are real outbreaks, mostly in a younger population than in the past. So we're not seeing the same surge on hospitalizations, but they're real. And then separate from that, people who are immune, mostly those vaccinated, are seeing breakthrough infections. Not most people vaccinated, but of those breakthrough infections, we're seeing more in the vaccinated population than in those with natural immunity. And those are mild cases. It's like the common cold or asymptomatic. And I think we just have to remember, our battle has never been against the sniffles. It's been against death (laughs) and disability and hospitals being overrun. And on that front, we're still fine. And you should feel good if you've got immunity. Marty, first of all, thank you so much for joining us again. I think there's a lot of confusion about this because What has happened is, and not just in the United States, is that there's been this huge conflation of infection and risk. And, you know, you you called it the sniffles, but at the end of the day, you know, when someone gets COVID, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, lambda, and probably whatever's in between that I missed because I didn't study Greek. Lambda, um, lambda, lambda. People. (laughs) (laughs) That was my friend. Thank you. (laughs) so people are full of fear and my sense is that the government hasn't done a great job in educating people about what these distinctions are which is causing part of the problem here you know in sort of section 1a of my question is if you think you're gonna get it anyway even if you're vaccinated then of course you would ask the question why should i be vaccinated what do you think well, if you're if the choice is between getting vaccinated or just getting the infection, if that's the decision point you're at, the vaccine's about 50,000 times safer. If you are not immune, and I keep saying that as opposed to those who are vaccinated, I talk about the immune because one of the greatest failures of our medical leadership has been ignoring natural immunity from prior infection. So that's just a little preface to how I'm describing this. If you're not immune in America... It's about 5% of seniors, and it's you know roughly 30% of adults in America. You should be worried. You should be worried. If you're in that group and you're high risk, you're, you know, you're more advanced in age, you're not you know, a 30-year-old healthy person, you should be worried because right now Delta is ripping through the United States in ways nobody saw because of its contagiousness. And so we thought we were in a really good place with COVID. And then what happened is something no one expected happened, a massive, massive epidemic in India. And out of that emerged an entirely new variant. And so that's what we're dealing with right now. But just to put this in perspective for people. So if you, I'm just, I was just looking at the CDC data. And so as of July 12th, there were a grand total of 5,492 Americans who've been hospitalized with breakthrough infections out of 159 million people who've been vaccinated. And I know that we're not factoring natural immunity in. 791 people dead. That is a death rate of 0.0005%. Is it fair to say that if you are vaccinated or if you have natural immunity, the pandemic is over for you? That's You're not true. gonna die. You're not gonna get hospitalized. That's right. You're good. You're good to go. And you should feel good. And you should live a normal life with the one exception that if you're in an area where there's an an active big outbreak, you may want to be a little careful around those who are non-immune. But otherwise, you should feel good. I would also add to that, Mark, any data from the CDC pretty much has major problems. And one of those issues is that when they talk about 
hospitalized with COVID. What they're talking about is this practice of, so we have routine testing of everyone who walks in the doors of a hospital. Okay. Absolute screening. By the way, it violates CDC guidelines because the CDC says you really should not be testing those who are vaccinated who have no symptoms. They've been saying that for a long time. So we got, we're testing every single person that walks in. Guess what? If you're immune, you're going to fend off the infection if you get it. And you might have a virus particle or two sitting in your nose. And the PCR test is so sensitive with the 30 cycle threshold. It is so sensitive. It can pick up one dead virus particle. You have no risk of disease or transmission. You're going to light up as positive. So those are people counted in your statistics. So I just point that out because we're over testing those who are fully vaccinated and immune right now. So that data is actually overstating the risk at 0.0005%. (laughs) That's right. So it's it's even lower risk than that. That's right. Reality. That's wow. right. All right. Wait. So this is a complete counter narrative to what we're hearing. So my favorite medical professional, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and <laughs> others have been suggesting over and you know everybody knows why I'm so derisive of him and his love of fame. But he has suggested, the White House has begun to suggest, my own state of Virginia and Mark's state of Virginia has begun to suggest that people should go back to mask wearing. Los Angeles has mandated that everybody indoors needs to wear masks again. So what are we talking about realistically? What I'm hearing from you, Marty, and what I just heard from Mark in terms of stats is, that's ridiculous. What I'm hearing from the press, from the White House and others is, Oh my God, light your hair on fire. COVID is back. Hopefully I rank somewhere in the top 10, by the way, in your top doctors. But as you need to I'll take rank number three or four after Fauci. That's fine with me. So I, as you know, was calling for the lockdowns before the pandemic hit. I was scared. I was really scared. And uh, then quickly said, look, we got to have an open society and live with this thing in a safe way. And then really when the mandates were coming on for anything, vaccine mandates or mask mandates, I was saying, look, people should wear a mask. But the idea of mandating things once we got down to a very low level of infection in the late spring, a few months ago, I I was against the mandates. Now, I got to be honest with you, I'm starting to think there's a lot we don't know with Delta. We're in some uncharted territory and in an area of an active outbreak for a short period of time until we have the data If people want to wear masks or business leaders who have a small, dense indoor setting without good ventilation, I'm not as opposed to the idea as long as we have exit criteria. I think where we're getting into real problems right now is, first of all, by having on the restrictions like masks longer than we needed to, and we did that in June and even in May, we've politicized it now. So people are too sensitized. They're not going to do it. And if we ask people to do something without hard data, we're just going to ignite a firestorm. And it's going to hurt us, our credibility in the future. We might need people to wear masks in five years if we see some new virus emerge. So there is a lot with the Delta that's uncharted. And now you know, I'm wondering, in an area of an active outbreak, if I were in a crowded church, would I wear a mask? Even though I'm vaccinated, I might. But here's the thing, Marty, and I want to turn to kids in a minute because you've written a great piece on this. But before we do that, obviously, there are some people who are immunocompromised and the vaccines don't work for them. Right. And there's some people who have pre-existing conditions, health conditions that make them more susceptible and they don't want to get the vaccines. Putting those people aside, 
People who are getting sick right now, I think it's something like 99.5% of deaths are people who didn't get vaccinated. 97% of hospitalizations are people who chose not to get vaccinated. If you're choosing not to get vaccinated now, before when there was like a shortage of vaccines, then this, this, yep. was, a, this was not an issue of choice. It's now an issue of choice. Why should people who have been responsible and gotten COVID vaccines have to have their lives turned around and go back into turtle mode in the in pandemic restrictions because of people who are making bad choices? Yeah, no, good point. Look, this is why right now I would say that I would strongly recommend a mask in an area of an active outbreak, but the mandate does have issues and that is the very issue. In, in the United States, if you're susceptible to COVID, that is you're not immune you're doing so at your own individual risk. And society is not going to shut down for your sake because you chose to go down that path. And kids are such low risk. That's a whole separate issue. So that's not a reason to keep things shut down. Let's talk about the kids because you had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal the other day. And you point out that out of you know the 600,000 some odd Americans who died with a COVID diagnosis code in their record, only 335 of those were kids under 18. And there's no data showing whether the COVID was actually the cause of death. You know, we're now starting to see parents are bracing for the teachers unions to start pushing for, oh, Delta variant is so dangerous. We got to delay school reopenings. Every kid has to wear a mask. Teachers are not going to want to go back to schools and we're going to have this whole start again in the fall. Is there any justification for keeping kids out of school and not starting schools now, or even requiring kids to wear masks in school? Well, even the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC have said, look, kids can do some mitigation like distancing and other things, but they got to be in school, even if you cannot achieve the mitigation, which is pretty remarkable to see the CDC say that which is what we've been saying the whole time, right? And that is, sure, you can take precautions and do things in schools, but they got to be there. They've got to be in the classroom. And so that was the first time we heard from it. Now, as you know, when I heard at the end of the spring, the teachers unions and the politicians at the CDC, which is the political appointees at the CDC say, oh, we expect kids to be in person in the fall. I knew this was going to be a battle royale. And that was posturing. And you're seeing it now with the masks, too. I think one reason they're saying we want kids to wear masks in school, even if they're two years old, is because once the vaccine's approved, they're going to use the vaccine as a condition to take off the mask, even though kids under 12 wearing masks has zero data. How is there no data that NIH has 41 billion dollars a year and 20,000 employees. How did nobody study this? There's no data in kids. The other thing is, do healthy kids die from COVID? No one knows. Ask Fauci, ask the CDC director, ask anybody, have any healthy kids died of COVID? No one can tell you because that number, 335 deaths in kids under 18, the whole pandemic, the whole year and a half, no one has verified. The CDC's never picked up the phone to call each of those families or the doctors who cared for those kids and get the history, figure out are all of those deaths clustered around a comorbid condition or set of comorbid condition. That's to me unremarkable that we put restrictions and stole the livelihoods of 50 million American kids for a year and a half without verifying the data. That to me is unbelievable. You make a really important point, which is that there's so much data worldwide and the unwillingness to pursue it to its logical end seems almost political. You mentioned how everything has become politicized. One of the fights that's going on right now in Washington is this political fight in which the great danger to Americans is 
all of these awful conservatives and Republicans in these Southern states who have not gotten vaccinated and they're <laughs> going around and making everybody sick. I sent Mark a couple of weeks ago, a really great piece by Chris Starwalt, who's a colleague of ours at AEI, yep. who actually went in and looked at these numbers in these Southern states. And all of a sudden, when you go and look at them, what you see is, oh, I'm sorry. It's not just the Republican voters in those states who are doing this. In fact, it's it's not at all the Republican voters. You know, in California, 29% of vaccinations have gone to Hispanic people, but they account for 63% of cases, 48% of deaths, and 40% of the population. In the District of Columbia, Black people have received 43% of vaccinations, but they make up 56% of cases and 71% of deaths and 46% of the population. That's not a, you know, that's not a MAGA problem. That's a social problem. And I'm not quite sure how we get past this. What are your thoughts about this whole sort of North-South Republican, Democrat, COVID carrier, not carrier problem? It's unfortunate to watch because I can tell you at the hospital, we got nurses that don't want to get vaccinated and they're not conservative. They just, they have, they've seen, remember nurses see a lot of complications in medicine of anything, right? They're the ones at the bedside and they're the ones there comforting the patients who are dealing with complications. So they're especially attuned to them. We've got a lot who are saying, look, I don't want to do it. Now, that's a bias that we have in medicine. You know, we doctors take care of our health the worst because we tend to know everything that can go wrong. I don't see the political aspect of it. I will say that there is sort of a community think in general, right? So if all your friends are getting it, you're more likely to do it. And in areas where there's low uptake of the vaccine, you're less likely to take it. But no, it, it's a big concern right now, the way that we're demonizing people who choose not to get it. And I'll tell you what's behind some of it is ignoring natural immunity. What I continue to say is the, one of the greatest failures of our public health leaders, because if you ignore the contribution of natural immunity, the road to getting to 85 or 90% population immunity is a road of mandating, forcing people, getting every two-year-old vaccinated and you know demonizing people who get in the way. When you see it that way, you don't see that, hey, you know what? A lot of the country right now has very high population immunity. They're bulletproof. And when you don't recognize natural immunity, you say, hey, these people that refuse to get it, they're in the way of us eliminating or eradicating this pandemic. That's a false construct. I think the problem here, you know, Marty, you're talking about nuances among healthcare workers, among the naturally immune and I want to also be fair to the government here, because, of course, it's not up to the government to accommodate every nuance. It's not up to the government to think about the doubtful and the populations who somehow are unwilling because they see the downside as nurses or because they've, you know, they, because they've had relatives die of other vaccines or for whatever reason. That's not the government's role. I think the problem here is that there's this effort to vilify, to turn into monsters, people who somehow have doubts about this. And I'm not sure that this is going to be effective because, yeah, I'd love to hear your answer to that question, but I'd also love to hear your answer to this question because Delta is not going to be the last variant, is it? 
We don't know. Delta may be here for years because it is so contagious. It quickly crowded out all the other variants, and it will be the variant in the United States for the foreseeable future. It, by the way, it's hard for the virus to keep mutating to be more contagious. That's a more difficult mutation. The virus mutates all the time. The vast majority of mutations are downward mutations. So the more contagious it gets, the higher the bar is and the harder it is to become more contagious than that. And so Delta, I'm you know, hearing virologists say that they think this might be the seasonal virus that's around for a long time. Now let's hope it mutates in a way that's more contagious, but less virulent, which is an option, which sometimes helps get it down. But I think your, your question is around, you know, those who are vaccine hesitant. If we want to deal with the hesitant, let's stop getting celebrities and politicians to do commercials and, you know, doing lotteries uh, like California is doing. Let's get the full FDA approval. The full FDA approval is not uh, something we have right now because of an absurd reason. And that is it's based on two different things. One is the safety and the other is the stability testing. And that's something that takes more time. We don't need the stability testing information. We don't need that approval on stability testing. We don't need to know that it sits on the shelf of a doctor's office for six months and the expiration date should be X date. We're already giving it out. And by the way, we can get the stability testing once they have that data, but it's safe. That box has been checked. Go ahead and issue a full authorization now. You know, I bet you 99% of Americans didn't even know there were two levels of authorization from the FDA, emergency use and full approval. And now we've, you know, we're all living in their little technical world of, oh, this is how we do it over here. You know what? Issue the full approval. We've got 180 million Americans who have gotten it. Safety profile is probably safer than any other medication they approved this year. And that'll help get people over this hump, I think. So, Marty, we've basically got two Americas right now. We've got the immunized, not vaccinated, but immunized, both from previous infection and from vaccines population for whom the pandemic is over. Right. I think yeah, it's safe yeah. to say that pandemic yeah. is done. We're back to normal. Then you've got this subset of the population that is not immune, either by choice or because of, you know, immunocompromised or all the rest of it, where the pandemic is very real. And there's actually a pandemic going around. That's our little bubble here in the United States. Elsewhere in the world, those two bubbles exist, but they're in a different ratio, right? And, you know, you talked about how the Delta variant, which came here, resulted from the fact that India had this great epidemic that broke out. How important is it for us to now that we've basically gotten every American who wants to get the vaccine can have the vaccine to pivot towards helping other countries get immunized? Because what we've seen from India is when a new variant forms because of a pandemic in faraway land, it comes home to us and affects us here at home. I mean, how important is it for us to focus on getting other countries immunized? Yeah, really good point, Mark. And I, I wrote a piece in the Washington Post two weeks ago titled the U.S. is far too fixated on vaccinating Americans. It must focus on the world. And what I'm basically getting at is that here we are debating if we should give third doses and immunizing five-year-olds for whom we don't even know if a healthy five-year-old has ever died from COVID in the United States. We don't even have that data from the CDC. And we're here we are saying they have to get two doses maybe in order to go to school. I mean, that's the level of debate we're at. And meanwhile, healthcare workers who are, you know, a senior nurse overseas doesn't even have any vaccine. And so what we're doing by hoarding vaccines and throwing millions into the trash, which we did on the FDA's order because it expired, we've thrown millions of doses in the trash. 
we should be addressing the threat of new variants emerging overseas by getting not only the vaccine over, but the logistics. The logistics take from the logistics experts I interviewed for the piece several months to years. Matter of fact, we couldn't even pull it off with nursing homes. We got the vaccine. It took us, there was a month delay in just getting the vaccine to the nursing homes. They were supposed to be first. So we're letting the world sort of hang to dry. We're saying, hey, we got a plan. You know, there's a big announcement to give out 50 million doses. Where are they? By the time they get there, for some places, it's going to be late after their epidemic. So America is, you know, seen in the world as a land of waste and excess. And what we're doing right now is certainly fulfilling that impression. So long story short, you know, we've talked about this. We've talked to you twice about the challenges that we're facing, the problems with the FDA, the problem with the CDC, the problem with the government, vaccine reluctance, new variants. Okay, let's look forward for a second. The one thing that this summer brought to the American people was light at the end of the tunnel, right? No more masks indoors, no more masks in restaurants, no more limitations, concerts, sports, so many of the things that we've missed, you know, kids in school together. What do you predict we're going to see in September? Well, right now, the modeling is showing that the Delta variant is going to peak somewhere between late August and early September. And by the way, we're seeing more variation in the models than we've seen before in terms of timing. And you're going to say, how can we see more now? They were so off in the past. Well, they were kind of uniformly off in the past. Now we're seeing modelers with good track records. And now we've got those track records to use come out with some different projections. Some see it extending through the fall. I think this is going to roll over sooner than some of these models show, but this is going to be a period where you're going to see a lot of headlines. You're going to see a lot of fear. You're going to see a lot of draconian policies come back in certain parts of the country, ironically, in the parts of the country where people need it least right? You're going to see it in some of these blue states where the vaccination rates tend to be higher. It's going to be a mess for the next month and a half. And then we're going to see it roll over. Now, Scott Gottlieb thinks that we've got more population immunity now than people may appreciate. And we're going to probably see this roll over a little sooner than some of these models are suggesting. But it's going to be ugly because the peak is going to be right around the opening of school. And then you're going to start to see all this last minute, hey, based on all this crazy new information and these new headlines, we're going to change the policy and keep the schools shut down and, and require vaccinations among kids, which you know we could see an approval for kids, say, 5 to 12 as early as September. And even the anticipation of that approval could give teachers unions a reason to say, hey, no in-person learning. It's going to be ugly. Uh, We got to brace up. It's going to be ugly. And I think, Mark, you said it best in that there's two Americas. If you're vaccinated, you now are living in a world where there's a seasonal virus that is very mild called COVID-19 that could give you very mild symptoms season to season. And that's okay. Our battle has never been against the common cold. It's been against death. It sounds like COVID is not going to be eradicated for a long time. It's going to be around, but it's going to be, as you say, more like the common cold and probably less than if you're vaccinated, less dangerous than a flu, right? And yet it's dominating our political discourse about public health in a way that I guess is understandable considering what we've gone through for the last year. But at what point are we going to get some balance back where COVID is not dominating every discussion about how we can function as a society. At some point, aren't we going to have to learn? This is good. This is our new reality. COVID is there. It's not going away. It's going to be around. We have protection against it. 
get vaccinated if you're vulnerable and go ahead and let's start going back to normal, not just in our activities every day, but also just let's stop obsessing with it. There's Is that ever going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> There's the obsession part, not in the next few months. It's going to be ugly because people are conflating the outbreaks among non-immune, which are small, limited, regional, and some of those are, are very real, and breakthrough infections, which are nothing to worry about, right? That's the downgrading of COVID from a serious threat down to a minimal cold flu type symptom setting or asymptomatic. By the way, we've got right now in the United States, four seasonal coronaviruses that have circulated for decades, and they cause mild symptoms. That's not COVID-19. These are other coronaviruses, and they collectively comprise 25% of the cases of the common cold. They're seasonal coronaviruses. COVID-19 is probably going to become the fifth seasonal coronavirus, but it's got a very scary title because you know we got burned and we had a really bad epidemic. So I don't know if we're going to learn that we need to live with COVID-19 and not be afraid of it when we have immunity. And if for those of you who are, who are pissed off and just thinking, gosh, we're going to have to live with this forever for the rest of our lifetimes, we're going to have a seasonal mild coronavirus called COVID-19. Well, you can thank the gain-of-function researchers for it, right? The other coronaviruses <laughs> came from nature. And by the way, it's not the first time there's been a lab leak in China, by the way. I was doing some research. The year after SARS went away, it totally went away, there was a SARS outbreak among lab workers in a Chinese lab. In 1977, the Chinese were found injecting an influenza strain into their military recruits which is what you do in a, what we call a challenge trial. That is, you give them an experimental vaccine and then give them the infection to see if it works. Well, that strain was from about 25 years prior. There's no way it lives 25 years. Influenza is too flimsy. It only can live in a lab frozen for 25 years. So they pulled it out of the lab. By the way, that virus in 1977 got out. It was an H1N1 strain of flu and killed 700,000 people that year. So there's a long track record here. And, you know, I just don't understand personally, and sorry to offend you, Danielle, because I know you're a big fan of Dr. Fauci. He was going around <laughs> the country, even if, even if the dollars he was donating to the Wuhan Virology Institute, which ironically, we submitted a grant at the same time for my research team at Hopkins to identify the cause of Alzheimer's disease. We think we're onto it. That was rejected. We find out later the money was going to Wuhan. Even if the dollars were not going directly to splicing the spike protein and doing the gain of function, which is what he's arguing, he was giving lectures promoting gain of function research, 100%. They're on tape, they're out there, you've seen some of them on Fox. I would say if I were him, gosh, I feel horrible. I was promoting this practice, should never be done, 100%, never, never, never. I'm sorry, you know, this was an honest mistake. I think Dr. Fauci has good intentions, but where's the humility to say, look, I got this horribly wrong. I'm a doctor. I'll tell you when I take care of patients, if something goes wrong and it does happen, American healthcare is messy. If I tell that patient, look, I am sorry. You know, I take responsibility. This should not have happened. I want to be here right with you every step of this process from here on out. I feel terrible. I'll tell you, patients are incredibly forgiving, but the public is very forgiving of medical professionals. And that's the approach. People are hungry for honesty and humility right now. Oh, Marty, I'm sorry. Where do you live? Honesty, <laughs> humility, please. Well, 
at least from you, we've gotten a lot of both. And thank you so much for being willing to share your time with us again. This has really been a wonderful conversation and I hope illuminating to our listeners who really enjoyed this sort of frankness and openness about an issue that deserves more frankness and openness. And honesty and honesty. Gosh, yeah. don't we need honesty? That's right. We thank sure you, do. Thanks a ton. Thanks guys. Great to be with you. So one of the things I want to pick up on is this whole idea that, you know, we're going to have this battle royale in the fall about opening schools. As Marty just pointed out that the Delta variant epidemic is going to peak in August and September, which is right when schools are opening. So we can just see, you can see this coming. The teachers unions are going to use this to squeeze it out for more money. We got to put masks on two-year-olds. I can't teach in the classroom. We're going to have to go back to online learning. He had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal, and I just want to lay this data out. 600,000 Americans who've died with COVID diagnosis on their record, 335 were children under 18. That's according to CDC data. And we don't know whether that was the cause of death. They just had a COVID diagnosis code. They could have had asymptomatic, which most kids are asymptomatic. Marty's team at Johns Hopkins did a study of 48,000 kids. And what they found was a COVID mortality rate of zero among children without a pre-existing medical condition. So if you are a kid without a pre-existing medical condition, you basically have a zero mortality rate from COVID-19. The idea that we're not going to open our schools or that we're going to make these kids wear masks while they're running around in the, in the schoolyard is just mind-boggling to me. Look, we talked about this during the intro, you know, these are people who are either A, on the teacher side, desperate not to teach, or B, on the regulatory side, desperate to keep kids out of school because they are absolutely incapable of making a cost-benefit analysis about this, about what it's like to keep kids in school with masks on in the heat of August, about what, it's, what the impact is of keeping kids out of school who are full of fear about what might happen to them. You know, we have spent most of this year and last year listening to people tell us that we have to listen to the science. But now that has just gone by the wayside, right? Now what we have to do is listen to hysteria, politics, rumor mongering, special interests, unions. And I, I, I think that a lot of people share our feeling that we are just bloody sick and tired of it. I agree with you 100%, but that's why you listen to this podcast so you get the truth. You get Marty McCary, and he tells it like it is. Look, folks, if you're vaccinated or if you're immune because of prior infection, the pandemic is over. Go back to your life. Send your kids to school. Go to work. Have fun. Go to concerts. Go on vacation. Go to restaurants. If you can get a table because the Biden administration is paying people not to work, and so they get a lot of these places can't open, but that's a whole nother topic. Uh, I refer you back to our podcast on inflation with uh, Michael Strain the other day, but enjoy your life. And one way to enjoy your life is to listen to this podcast, rate us, <laughs> review us, tell Danny why she's wrong, send her an email. <laughs> <laughs> See, I jumped in and stole your thunder. <laughs> I never get those emails, Mark. Everybody, thanks for listening. And like you, we are going to enjoy our summer. So Mark and I are going to be off for the next few weeks. And we will be back with you fresh, tanned, rested, and ready, just like Richard Nixon <laughs> for the new academic year at the beginning of September. Take care, everyone.
Our producer is Alexa Santry, and a special thanks as well to Olivia Leslie and AEI's digital strategy and video teams. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell@ai.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Um.